excuse me, where the gotcha might happen is if the commercial product that you are selling as a vendor of that open source project, if that if the reason to switch from an open source project to that commercial product is not compelling enough, then you end up in this weird situation where the CTO or the VP of engineering is thinking of build versus buy. Mm. So if you have given up enough value in the open source project and your commercial product does not really you know, change the value prop- proposition all that much, then as a CTO, I might actually think about, okay, let me just have put in a couple of engineers on this and really make the open source project successful within my uh, technology technical stack. So that's sort of like where we see a lot of companies kind of miss the boat where they have either given out too much in their open source project that they cannot build a business on, or sometimes they have held back too, too much to the point that they don't get adoption of their open source project. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we tell the real stories of those who are building an AI or making use of it in their daily lives. Today's guest is Sudeep Chakravarti, an early stage investor and partner at Decibel, where he focuses on enterprise and infrastructure companies. Before becoming an investor, Sudeep was an entrepreneur, an engineer, starting his first company when he was at Georgia Tech and his second while in business school at Wharton. He's been an adventurer ever since, with a particular focus on enterprise and open source companies. If you want to catch the latest episodes of the Humans of AI podcast, make sure to subscribe. Check out my free AI newsletter, Chaos Theory, and find me on social at Alex Chowmander. Now, without further ado, here's my talk with Sadeep. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm here joined with Sadeep. He is a partner at Decibel, and we're going to be hearing about his story, about how he's investing in all across the enterprise, but probably most interesting to me in AI companies and just his thought process and how he's approaching this entire space. But before all this to deep, I'm sure myself and the listeners would love to hear just your own origin story, how you came to be and what sort of life experiences brought you to where you are today. Hey, Alex, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So in terms of my background, I actually am originally from India, came to uh, school here at Georgia Tech, promptly dropped out to do my first company, um, didn't really go very well with my mom, but um, you know she was finally at peace with it. So that was my first four-day into entrepreneurship, sold that company, and then I actually uh, was a product manager for some time. Ended up starting a second company when I was in business school. Uh, that one we grew to several million in ARR and had another exit, uh, nicer exit this time than the first time. And then since then, for, for the last 10 plus years, I have been on the venture side. I have only focused on enterprise infrastructure companies. So that's all I do. So think of my focus as partnering with technical founders, building technical products for technical users. So that's really uh, what my current firm, Decibel, also specializes in. We only invest in enterprise infrastructure, seed and series A, and that's exactly what I have been doing for the last 10 plus years. Could you share about about why enterprise infrastructure as like the sole focus area for for you and the firm? Yeah, so um, it starts with the user and customer personas. So what we find is if you're building an enterprise infrastructure company, um, and let me also define what what I mean by infrastructure. We actually uh, put all the companies that are selling to CIOs, CTOs, chief security officers, chief data officers, and VPs of engineering in this bucket. And the user persona, the go-to-market motion, the reasons why these companies succeed or fail kind of are similar across you know, uh, all these 
different startups. Whereas this is very different if you pick a vertical SaaS like FinTech or HR tech or marketing tech, you're selling to a very different kind of uh, user personas, typically someone who doesn't have a deep engineering or technical background. So the go-to-market motions tend to be very different. And of course, consumer is a whole different beast. So at Decibel in particular, we strongly, strongly believe in bringing a lot of help to our founders. So we have a few different things that we bring to the table that I can talk about if you're interested, but we cannot do all of that for multiple different sectors. We have to pick a sector that we really are passionate about, and that's enterprise infrastructure for us. I think there's a lot to be said about just the overall buying journey of how uh, these CIOs or just decision makers who probably for sure are more technical or come from some engineering background, engineers themselves, uh, and they now have control over some budget, have to decide which technologies, which platforms that their companies or their teams invest in. I guess, what are some of the the gotchas that you've seen these people sort of say like, hey, like I, I'm trying to make a decision, but I need to have X, Y, Z sort of thing. Um, what, what are some of those things from uh, that enterprise buyer? So let me give you a more specific example. So we invest in a lot of open source companies. So companies that are built on top of open source projects. And typically what happens is the engineering team within, within a particular enterprise finds out about an, about an open source project, starts using it, starts getting value out of it, and then eventually, at some point, it gets um, the product gets to a point where this uh, VP of engineering or the CIO or the CTO kind of wakes up to it and says, "Okay, since you know half of my team is already using it, and I need all these you know enterprise features, or I need reliability, I need security, I need uh, robust support. Let me go and find the vendor who uh, is standing behind that open source project." I mean, where the gotcha might happen is if the commercial product that you are selling as a vendor of that open source project. If that if the reason to switch from an open source project to that commercial product is not compelling enough, then you end up in this weird situation where the CTO or the VP of engineering is thinking of build versus buy. Mm -hmm. So if you have given up enough value in the open source project and your commercial product does not really you know, change the value prop proposition all that much, then as a CTO, I might actually think about, okay, let me just have put in a couple of engineers on this and really make the open source project successful within my uh, technology technical stack. So that's sort of like where we see a lot of companies kind of miss the boat, where they have either given out too much in their open source project that they cannot build a business on, or sometimes they have held back too too much to the point that they don't get adoption of their open source project. It's an interesting dynamic because, you know, for open source, you know, of which, right, I'm building semantic kernel and uh, have certainly seen this firsthand that you need to offer something to the developer community that's compelling enough to even get them interested or at least command their attention, right? Because they're going to be dedicating their time, their energy, their working hours to building or taking a dependency on it. And if they're, if you don't offer enough compelling features or just things, a, a good experience, then they'll just move on to the, the next thing. I, I think what's very true about open source is that the attention span is very small and people can often chase the next yeah. next thing. We, we actually have a rule of thumb around that. So we kind of believe that everything that you need to make an individual user successful 
And when I say successful, I mean really look them, make them look like a you know magician to their peers. So anything you need uh, to make an individual user successful, you should release in an open source project. Anything the team needs to be successful, that should be held back as a commercial product, as a hosted service, or whatever that might be. So again, it's a very high level rule of thumb, but it typically works for most open source projects. Well, one thing I'd love to hear more about is sort of the the journey of yourself and how these sort of personal experiences of entrepreneurship have kind of guided your own thinking in terms of how do you evaluate, how do you source companies, how do you even consider different open source projects and saying, this one seems really good, has good traction. This one might be very popular in the moment, but probably is one that I might pass on. Well, first, like how does that, how does the entrepreneurship mindset from yourself come into play here? In a few different ways. First of all, I think for me, a lot of my interest and subsequently my research focuses on what problem are you solving for your customer? Um, and that goes straight back to my days of you know doing my own company. At the end of the day, it might be the most cool technology you're building, but if you're not solving a compelling customer problem, nobody eventually cares. So I think a, a lot about, is this open source project really solving a pain point that no one else is right now? And sometimes, you know, I, I would even take on an open source project that might be solving a small pain point or a niche pain point. But if there are users that are really passionate about the problem, you know, the, the company or the project is solving, and I can... I can extrapolate that and think that the rest of the market might get there in three to five years. That's a great you know, uh, investment opportunity because the rest of the market probably hasn't opened up, whereas you know, a small group of passionate users are really filling that pain point. So that's one thing, customer problem. The second thing is uh, I spend a lot of time, again, when it comes to open source project in understanding the community and the quality of community. So there are a lot of open source projects out there. You will see a lot of GitHub stars. You'll see a lot of you know, buzz. But at the end of the day, it might be like they're solving a problem that is not going to be an enterprise class problem eventually. And while those projects are great for you know, open source uh, success, they're probably not great candidates for building businesses. So I spent a fair amount of time trying to understand, trying to under deconstruct the user community to the extent I can. Are there people in the community who are using it actively that are coming from enterprises or you know like fast moving startups or just you know technology forward companies if i see enough evidence of that that is another very strong signal for me so yeah those are some of the things i look for goes again goes back to my own days of uh, starting companies well i'm sure you have this these battle scar insights to to share to 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 go into these uh evaluations or considerations with so certainly very valuable well i guess speaking of a buzz and like what's been happening very i mean probably more recently in the last year it's just all this the, the ai wave right and everything that's happening here uh, could you actually speak from the investor point of view of just like, what has it been like just in the past, let's just call it 12, 18 months around? What have you been seeing come out from, from AI and what has even interested slash even concerned you personally? It is a bit of a cliche, but I think, you know, this very much 
feels like a platform shift to us. Um, maybe like, you know, when cloud happened, maybe like when mobile happened, maybe like when internet happened. Again, I wasn't there for many of those platform shifts myself, but uh, this one definitely feels like that across the board. And the reason for that is um, certainly what we are seeing is, you know, market segments that we felt had matured enough to the point that starting a new company uh, didn't make all that sense. Like you take a lot of these, you know, sub sub segments within the B2B market and they were like maybe two, maybe three, maybe four incumbents. So starting a new company there uh, didn't seem like all that, all that a uh, good idea. Now with this technology, suddenly it feels like you can actually go and disrupt those markets because A, you can offer a completely different user experience and better in many cases. B, which is super important, you can actually offer a very different cost model. And a lot of these incumbents have spent years and years of building a technology stack that suddenly goes out of the window because a new startup can leverage you know any of the foundation model apis or you know even the small models they might be able to build and completely upend your um, technology stack that you have built for years so between those two for the last few months it feels like many of the existing segments in the b2b market are now again up for grabs so that is a huge shift you know that has definitely changed the uh, pace and the dynamic of early stage investment, as you as you probably know. And the second piece is, I think also what's happening is it it has created need for next generation infrastructure products. So we barely had heard of vector databases, for example, a year ago. We barely had heard of RAG. We barely had heard of fine tuning. Now suddenly, with companies, you know, trying to leverage AI for their own applications, you see their need to really you know, build or buy this next generation infrastructure. And that has created a huge momentum for obviously all these companies. And the third piece I would say that is really interesting that you know, has been, is being driven by AI is some of the areas, and particularly I mean services, for example. So a lot of services companies uh, exist all around us. If you were to go and compete with them, two years ago, you probably have to go and build a very similar company driven by human capital, um, driven by low margin businesses and scale. Certainly AI can disrupt that model quite a bit. You could go and build the next generation Accenture or Deloitte or Infosys or Cognizant with a product um, under the hood that is an AI driven product with probably some human interface, human services on top, but your cost model, your uh, margin structure is very different. So again, that has opened up, I think, a lot of opportunities in areas that are not traditionally, has not been venture funded in the past. Yeah. If anything, platform shifts create opportunity. They are catalysts of disruption, but it's also a lot of noise as well. And I think some people would categorize uh, certainly the early half of, or the early 2023 as being mm -hmm. a period of exuberance, like a lot of uh, companies yes. seemingly getting funded just because they have many stars on GitHub or, yeah. um, or or something like that. I guess, how have you been applying a more discerning eye or at least a more critical lens towards 
what's happening here and even deciding what you know you or, De- or decibel invests in yeah i've been talking about github stars um I mean, there's a half joke, but it's kind of true. I think in a lot of the new projects, if you're seeing a GitHub star count, you know, divided by a 10 easily to even have some kind of you know, normalcy. So yes, I mean, a lot of these projects have really taken off in GitHub star count. But when you, you know, really dig deeper, you will see that a lot of those are not really, you know, deep projects. Like they're not deep technical projects. And there are a lot of exceptions, by the way, don't get me wrong. But a number of these projects are probably like, you know, demoware that, you know, people start or people like or they talk about just because the idea is cool. But that doesn't mean the project is delivering. So I think, you know, one thing that we have seen quite a bit is uh, building a demo in this space has been, you know, fairly easy. But building a product has been extremely hard. And we keep talking about this last mile in AI. And that last mile has been really, really uh, tough. So, like, we try to really uh, obviously find out, you know, what you're building. Is this a uh, wrapper on, you know, some foundation model API, or is it a really, you know, uh, impactful, you know, technically novel thing that you're building? So, that's one thing we spend a lot of time on. I would say the other thing is, like, we spend a lot of time on who the founders are. At the end of the day, like, any venture investor you ask, probably would say, okay, team is the number one, number two, number three priority. I think it's even more important in this new space because A, you know, this space this space is moving so fast that you really need to partner with people who are, you know, technically the best, who have the openness to read the market, shift their, you know, ideas as needed. So that's that's why like we really like teams who are first of all technical but also have a really good appreciation of hey the world might not look like what it is today 6 months down the line so people who are like open to you know kind of uh seeing what the world how the world is evolving and kind of moving accordingly so that's why like we spend a lot of time really trying to understand who the team is um so yeah i mean again we don't have a perfect crystal ball but we have been somewhat more deliberate about you know who we partner with what kind of ideas we partner with and the last thing i would say is um there are a lot of companies out there that have raised a lot of money to go and buy just gpu compute and you know i think we kind of like companies that have figured out some creative ways to get around that you know gpu divide so we kind of keep saying like okay there are some companies that will be gpu rich meaning they will raise a lot of money and probably go and buy a lot of you know nvidia cards and then there will be a whole set of companies that will be gpu poor and try to figure out how they can still build their first application delivered in a delightful customer experience without going and building their own models so we tend to kind of like people or companies that have been a little more creative around, okay, it's not a direct funnel to NVIDIA's, you know, top line. Like you don't raise, you know, a venture round and half of it directly goes out of the door to NVIDIA. So again, that's like, you know, something we like to see. Yeah. One of the things I've been seeing recently is this idea of a GPU reseller of Uh people just like taking this capacity that they bought with venture money and saying, I'm just going to now put it back out there you know, put a little, you know, charge a little bit more uh, and add some additional software or services on top of it. And then 
because there's just so much demand for right. these A100s or H100s. It's just, there's now a market for, for this type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that you brought up is that I thought was actually very interesting, but I'd like to double click on some more is this idea that the services industry could be transformed and, and uh, you know, just even reimagined. Part of this is actually, you know, you might have a, an opinion about this is this rise of agents as a mm-hmm. kind of direction or a pattern, if you will, or even just a new paradigm for having AI be able to not only reason, not only be able to gather information and synth- synthesize it, but then actually take action and do things that a normal you know, person, a human would do. So I guess, first off, the question is, what do you think about agents as a concept? Is it more hype than reality? And is it a part of this transformation of the services industry that you were mentioning before? It is definitely part of that. Um, I think, you know, we are far from a state where, you know, agents do everything for us. And I, I actually don't even know if we'll get there. I do think, you know, it will be a model where as a human being, let's say you're in a specialized job, let's say you're a SOC analyst. I mean, basically you're sitting at the security operations center and you are monitoring all the alerts that are flying in. And then you need to go and investigate probably the top, you know, hundred alerts, you know, uh, that day. So today what your life looks like is when you have a high priority alert come in, you go and access, you know, data from probably 15 different security tools. And then once you have that data, you basically try to connect the dots and then really decide on how to remedy it. I think you could potentially imagine a world where you know you have lower level agents that can go and do the data acquisition for you so that you're not logging into each tool or going into you know, uh, every tool and really trying to get the data. So I think, you know, and then once you have the data, then the human being can make a much better decision of, okay, which, uh, what are the remediation, what the remediation steps should be. So I feel like um, you'll see a lot of this, you know, agents at a granular level. I'm actually, I don't, I think we are far from getting anywhere in terms of a high level agent. Like you can't really automate a SOC analyst, you know, anytime soon. I, I don't think the technology is there. I don't think the trust factor is there. But I, I do think, you know, it's sort of like, you know, how, you know, if you go back to the computer architecture, computer architecture, right? It's like today you program in a very high level programming language. You are not going and programming what goes into a register and what comes out of it, right? So I think, you know, agent architecture will probably looks something similar where you will have a lot of this granular, granular lower level agents. And then probably you'll have programming framework uh, to build on top of those for your own customer uh, customer use cases. From my side, I view the agents as a as a pattern, right? As a way to kind of express, like, hey, we want to give an AI the ability to have access to some tools to mm-hmm. do some uh, longer term planning or longer term reflection and be able to synthesize sort of observations it's making. And then, yeah, maybe take a few actions here and there to sort of step in one direction or, or another. I actually am more, I've become more most interested in the multi-agent concept where, and this you know was popularized by a recent open source project from 
Microsoft Research Autogen, where, yeah, you could spin up multiple conversational agents that are all kind of off doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. They each have their own set of like skills or tools. And then they eventually kind of come back together, kind of share their share their work, share their insights, uh, similar to, I guess, how a, a team would, right? And then the output from that would be better than any individual agent uh, right. would. So, yeah. So I think there's definitely some promise there. But when I talk to enterprises, when I hear, you know, hear about their willingness to embrace agents, well, first of all, they're just trying to embrace OpenAI, just trying to embrace, you know, large language models in the first place and dealing with just non-determinism uh, yeah. overall. And like, yeah, not sure. Well, not even having the token budget to really yeah. explore and agents in any meaningful capacity. I agree. And um, I also think, you know, a lot of this automation doesn't have to be super fancy. I think you get a lot of value even by automating, you know, things that are mundane, you know, people don't really enjoy doing it. And our, and the more constrained it is, the better it is for obviously the AI to deliver, you know, um, deliver something that works. So I feel like, you know, we'll see, we'll continue to see a lot of that. I think, you know, you talked about hype. I think we definitely have seen in a number of open source projects that promise, oh, you can automate away this whole complex task. And typically, you know, they don't really, I mean, they kind of fall flat beyond a certain, you know, planning stage or something like that. So, yeah, I have some skepticism about it um, for, a, for a high level complex task automation standpoint. Uh, I think you will have the human in the loop for quite some time. That's the way I see it. Well, and speaking of this, what people are maybe hyped about, what where there is a, a lot of attention, a lot of energy towards, there's this other side of the house of like, what are people not talking about, or not thinking deeply enough uh, about in, in AI? And I mean, Sudeep, I'm curious to hear, you know, as an investor, as a you know VC, you will see many different sort of pitches, many sort of different you know, companies coming to you, maybe all of them start sounding very similar to one another, mm. but there could also be other ones that take a truly contrarian to a truly different point of view. I'm just curious, like, are there any uh, that are not, that are delving into the areas of stuff that people aren't really talking about in AI? That's a, that's a good question. I would say, I wouldn't say this is not something people are not thinking about, but I would say, we have started seeing entrepreneurs go after the security aspect of AI, and that kind of is an all-encompassing in a bucket. So there's obviously, you know, how do you how do you think about the new attack vectors now LLMs present, and how do you go about protecting those? So for lack of better analogy, think of it as an you know LLM firewall, right? So you really try to filter what is going on, going into the LLMs through the prompts and so on. And there can be attack vectors like prompt injection and whatnot. And then also like on the output side, you filter what's coming out so that you are not serving up in you know, a toxic uh, results or, you know, really things that the LLM should not be, you know, uh, putting out. I think, you know, individual foundation model companies actually are doing a good job and they're probably going to do an even better job. So I do not worry as much about putting something like this on an open AI in a API, but I think we'll get to a world um, where there will be these, you know, 
four, five, six large models or foundation models, right? And then I think you will have this thousand or thousands of small models for your verticalized use case. Um, because A, those models uh, will perform better than a generalized model. B, they will be cheaper to train as well as to uh, run inference on. And C, you know, they are probably built on your private data as an enterprise. So for those kind of use cases, I think you know, uh, security becomes more important because how do you protect those models from attacks as well as you know putting out things that are undesirable? So I think you know, LLM security is something people are waking up to it. And I wouldn't call it a contrarian bet, but I think it is a, it is something that is coming a bit late and will be in the focus pretty soon. Yeah. I think oftentimes security, at least how people respond or react to security, is unfortunately a like secondary item uh, yep. for for many people, uh, and it's only until after they're exposed or after they've experienced some huge negative consequence do they start saying, "Okay, let's now let's, we have to invest in something. We have to show show face that we are that we care about this." Uh, right. But, if anything, there's an opportunity for providers and even just users, enterprises to to take a leading effort here. Well, as we are wrapping up, one thing that I'd love to hear about is just, you know, we, we talk about the future of what it could possibly look like, um, certainly in the enterprise space, but even more broadly speaking, Sudeep, I'm curious to hear, is there anything that you're just personally excited about to just see like something that's happening or uh, some trend that is going in the right direction? Yeah, I think, um, look, I mean, this is coming from my own bias, but I kind of very much believe that anything that is open, transparent, community-driven eventually trumps something that is closed, guarded behind the firewall. And this is a trend. It is not a done deal yet, but I feel at a guts level that when it comes to, you know, foundation models from proprietary uh, vendors versus models that are coming out of the open source community, I very much like the trend of how open models, open source models are really getting better. Now, it's not a trivial task because you need the compute, you need the community to really, you know, get behind it. But I very much like the trend uh, of, you know, where things are going. I don't think I would have was this optimistic even when ChatGPT came out last November. It felt like we might be moving to a world where, okay, we all work for OpenAI in one form or another. I actually feel very different now. And I feel like, you know, the open source community has come together. Obviously, we need to do a lot more where I think the world will be sure you you should use OpenAI when it makes sense, but when it does not, you know there are other open source alternatives for you. Um, actually, I, that's something I very I'm very excited about. Yeah, well, in the spirit of sort of creating this community, one thing I appreciate from Decibel, and it's probably the the chance to to explain more for the listeners what Decibel is and and how you all invest. But one thing I appreciate is just, yeah, this emphasis on on community, on talking with founders, highlighting them, spotlighting them, um, and even engaging in maybe some 
tougher conversations around like, okay, what is your go-to-market plan? What is your, mm-hmm. your, your strategy for there? But do you want to share maybe for the listeners uh, very quickly, Decibel, how, how you guys are investing um, and why founders should choose you? <laughs> right. No, thank you uh, for asking that question. So as I said already, we are specialists. So we very much believe that post-investment, if we really uh, want to help a company and make it succeed, the only way to do that is by bringing impactful help to the table. That starts with specialized expertise. So that's why we, we only invest in enterprise infrastructure because that's all we know and understand and can help with. And the second part of that is we bring specialized services to the founders to really you know, increase their odds of success. And today that looks uh, uh, like four things. One is around really helping our uh, companies build their community, build their bottom-up go-to-market machine, and sometimes even top, top-down top uh, go-to-market machine, and then really you know help them get their product messaging, product positioning right. So that's like a big part of what we do as uh, at Decibel. The second piece is uh, finding them early customers. Um, and not, you know, for every company, every startup, uh, customer obviously you know makes or breaks that company. So we spend a lot of time not only finding the right customers, but actually sitting down with the company on every call, uh, try to understand how their message is landing, and if not, go back to the drawing board with them to increase the conversion. Then the third piece is, is talent. So we don't really focus a lot of time on C-level hiring because our companies are too early for that. We spend an inordinate amount of time helping them hire engineers, product leaders, developer relationship, and community uh, uh, people. And finally, uh, there's something I would say I wish I had done even more for my own companies. We Actually, I'm pretty proud of us doing this here. We spend a lot of time with our founders to really craft and refine their stories like how they are talking about their companies to potential hires, customers, even investors or to the broader world. So we spend a lot of time, you know, designing their launch, designing their, you know, voice outside to create a create a footprint out there that really, you know, speaks to what they are doing. Um, and which is really important when you're a two-person uh, startup taking on uh, you know, Goliath in whatever space you are in. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, those are the reasons why, you know, founders who really feel like, uh, you know, they could use that help, get to product market fit faster, you know, and hence, you know, they decide to partner with us. That's awesome. Well, Sadeep, well, thank you so much for coming on the Humans of AI podcast. If people want to reach out to you or find you, how could they do so? Yeah, um, LinkedIn always works. And then my email is Sudeep, S-U-D-I-P at decibel.vc. And thank you so much for having me on this, Alex. It was fun. Yeah. Well, for the founders, for anyone building an AI, I'm sure Sudeep will be happy to to take your call, take your email. So Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again and have a good rest of the week. Thanks. You too, Alex. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Humans of AI. If you're building something with AI or have perspectives you want to share, drop me a note at alex.humansofai.xyz. And be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, Chaos Theory. Until next time, This is Alex, Resident Chaos Coordinator.